0: And welcome to Health Healing and Hampton Roads. I am Dr. Felicia Mebben, the Executive Director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University, and I am so excited to be with you um, here, I guess it's still this morning, this morning. <laughs> so today's topic is going to be community health and global health, but probably not the way you might expect. So I am so excited to be here with a colleague friend of mine, Dr. Cynthia Romero from Eastern Virginia Medical School. Hi, Dr. Romero.
1: Good morning, Dr. Mevin. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you. So one of
0: the goals of Health Healing in Hampton Rose is to connect the community and connect everyone with the folks who are engaged around really important health and public health issues. It's just so important for people to know. We want to celebrate people who are doing great work. But we also want our community to know, right, when Dr. Romero knocks on your door, here's who she is and here's what she's about. So tell us a little bit about your connection to Hampton Rose, which, by the way, I know— Is substantial. So tell our audience
1: a little bit more about yourself and your connection to Hampton Roads. Great. Thank you. Um, And good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Cynthia Romero. I'm the director of the M. Foscu Brock Institute for Community and Global Health at Eastern Virginia Medical School. And I'm a native of Hampton Roads. So I'm very much connected uh, to this region and so grateful to be a part of it. So here's the test. How do you say Norfolk? I say Norfolk. 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 Is that right? Okay, I don't know. I've heard it several ways. I've heard Norfolk. Um, (laughs) I've heard Norfolk. Um, I say Norfolk. Okay. Yes. Sounds good. It's from a native, so there you (laughs) you go. (laughs) There you go. Um, So I actually was born at the Naval Medical Center, Portsmouth. So the Portsmouth. hospital uh, because my dad was in the U.S. Navy and he was recruited from the Philippines and he met my mom in the Philippines and after my mom had graduated from the University of Santo Tomas in the Philippines she was actually taking care of patients in the Philippines but when she married my dad had my sister and moved here to Norfolk. Uh, they ended up having my brother and me and both of us were born at the Portsmouth Naval Medical Center. So really talking about the roots here within our region. Uh, So grew up in Norfolk and then eventually in Virginia Beach. Did my schooling kind of at a Catholic school in St. Matthew's Catholic School in Virginia Beach and then Norfolk Catholic High School when it was on Granby Street. It has now evolved into Bishop Sullivan High School In Virginia Beach, which was actually closer to my parents' house at the time. Um, And then I went to the University of Virginia, and I majored in psychology with a minor in biology and economics. Okay. And then came right here to EVMS for medical school. Then I completed my family medicine residency training at Riverside. So the Riverside Family Medicine Program in Newport News that's affiliated with the Virginia Commonwealth University. And then I stri- went straight into private practice with my mom as my partner wow. and my dad as our office administrator. So it was Romero Family Practice, uh, really our family serving the community mm-hmm. of Hampton Roads. Mm-hmm. So we not only saw patients from our Filipino community, but we really saw them from all cities around Hampton Roads and even Northeast. North Carolina. So my mom really was just this amazing force um, as an individual, but also as a physician. And I think she really laid the groundwork for wanting to improve the health of the community because of the remarkable individual that she was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so how was yes. that
0: working with her? I, I oh have to say, yes. my mom taught me <laughs> seventh and eighth grade science exactly. and chemistry for one semester in high school. And she was Mrs. Mevin <laughs> in the classroom. <laughs> and right. so now you were an adult when you <laughs> worked right. with your mom. But how was
1: that? <laughs> That's right. It was, it was amazing. you know. And looking back, that was truly one of the, the best phases of my career in my life because growing up in a family of medicine you know i saw what my mom did certainly within the office but even more so seeing her influence in the community and how she had these longitudinal relationships with these families and really taking care of generations of family members and you know to see her really catering you know services and community resources through her office for these populations but for me to join my mom after she had been in practice for 15 years with my dad as her office administrator it was interesting because, you know, <laughs> do I call her mom? Do I call my office administrator dad? Right. You know, so even that dynamic was really fun. But the more that I had the opportunity to work with my mom, work side by side by, you know, with her, it really became this dynamic where we transcend, our relationship transcended the mom and daughter relationship. And it really morphed into this mentor you know, uh, mentee relationship where I learned so much from her amazing example of engaging her patients, taking care of them, focusing on their health and wellness, and kind of tolerating the burdens of administrative, you know, processes. But then it actually even evolved to another level where it became a colleague and colleague where you know for very difficult patient situations or circumstances related to policy or insurance payments you know, my mom and I would, you know, have this uh, shared bathroom between our two offices where we would come together and we'd be like, okay, you know, this is a difficult patient. What, what do I do? How did you, you know, and my, my mom would say, you know, you know, this is a patient I've been dealing with for a long time, having challenges related to, you know, managing their diabetes, or it sounds like there are some mental health stressors. I'm not sure how to address it. How would you recommend it, you know, since you're, you're fresh in your training? And I'd be able to give her some advice. Mm-hmm. Then once there were some patients who, were allowing me to take care of them. You know, my mom would say, "Hey, you know, here's my daughter. You know, you could see her today instead of me." And the patients initially were like, uh, "No, you're doctor Romero, she's not." She's not. <laughs> and, and and so so my mom would be, you know, able to you know walk in with me and say, "You know what? She's really good now, and she's an extension of me. So you can trust her." And only with that transition would my the patients be willing. To have me take care of them, and then I would be able to um, say, Mom, you know, you took care of this patient for a long time. Here are some challenging situations. How did you handle it? Mm-hmm. You know, so it really became a collegial, you know, relationship. And it just was so fascinating to be part of that environment where we really created our office and our relationships, even with our staff, to really be our family helping serve our community by helping them become healthier and more well. So just a fascinating time. And then to have my dad there, you know, during office hours to say, yes, Dr. Romero, n- n- number one and number two, or, <laughs> or mom docs, uh, you know, baby doc. Um, and then after hours, you know, Sin, you really need to see more patients. You can't spend too much time with them. You really have to, you know, move things along. But And then and certainly when it became, um, you know, kind of um, uh, contentious, like, you know, as soon as I joined my mom's office, I really needed an electronic health record, right? And, you know, an appointment book that was electronic. And, you know, for the arguments to be, you know, my dad, the office administrator siding with my mom, my dad would pull me aside and say, hey, you know what, I have to go home with your mom. So, you know, I'm going to side with her and support her, but let's continue to talk about what's best for the practice.
0: Sure. And thank you so much for sharing that. So, you know, we have students who are out there, maybe folks in high school, folks in college, who might be thinking about what they want to do with their careers. And it's really great to hear that. I'm glad you said family, right? Because I think in some regards, it probably was that it's sort of a A little bit of an old-fashioned model, but a great one, right, that your practice would be a family affair, and then people would come in and know you, and then they would connect to you. So let's have a little bit of a teachable moment. So you are an MD physician, a doctor-doctor, sometimes I say. (laughs) I'm a doctor. She's a (laughs) doctor-doctor. She's a physician. Yes, There is medicine and medical Mm -hmm. care, and Mm -hmm. then there's community health and public health. And it sounds like the model that you had was to blend the two. So could you talk a little bit about what community health means uh, from your perspective and perhaps public health as well,
1: and sort of where in your story, you know, those things were happening? Exactly, thank you so much for asking, because, you know, for students out there to realize that there really is a difference between the practice of medicine and community health and how the practice of medicine has to be part of the whole discussion and consideration of the health of the community, right? And just like there are other disciplines that are involved like epidemiology and research and environmental health that are part of that broader conversation around community health. So where where I saw the opportunity especially learning from my mom, is that when when we're taking care of patients individually, right, that's the beauty of clinical medicine, patient care, is that the approach focuses on individuals at that moment in time and trying to determine, you know, what happened to make the diagnosis and then to set the course for the treatment and follow-up. And certainly in family medicine, it was a little broader because we really considered individuals not just as a diabetic, but rather an individual that may be a diabetic that is a single mom that's working two jobs to help make sure that there's food and clothing for their children, right? And so, you know, I think that was a very unique approach that family medicine in particular as a primary care specialty was based on but through you know our practice we recognized that when individuals were not having their diabetes you know well controlled or their high blood pressure well controlled or you know smoking you know why were they continuing to smoke we realized it wasn't just because of choice but rather because of the circumstances around their lives that led them to not be able to access the services or not be able to, you know, get the treatments that they needed. And so that opened the door for my mom and I and our staff to say, how do we help make these individuals understand that their health and wellness are so linked to their income level, their education level, their awareness of resources, and also just how stressors within their life can impact their health and wellness. So that was a bridge that I had an opportunity just through private practice to be able to you know, make a difference. But in my experiences as I was involved in health policy from not just through my practice but also formally through medical school, I became involved in organized medicine at the local, regional, state, and national level and had the opportunity to serve as Virginia's state health commissioner mm-hmm. i saw the connections you know loud and clear and realizing that there's such a disconnect oftentimes between bedside care whether that's in an office or at a hospital and health policy and how there really needs to be a connection between understanding all the influences between you know the patient's social support their access to health insurance you know, their income level, education level, and really access to supports and services. So, you know, really the um, the public health conversation evolved over the past decades, especially in the early 1970s and 80s, to recognize that preventive medicine has to include primary care, but there has to be a direct link so that primary care offices had to report and also you know, share what the challenges were from their individual patients to that bigger system of care. So really that, that connection and that bridge between, you know, primary care and public health is germane to today's conversation about community health.
0: Absolutely. And I'm always fascinated to to talk with physicians because my training flips it around. Mm -hmm. So my training is anchored in health policy and anchored in schools of public health. And so if anyone is out there is really interested in looking at determinants of health, I'm sure if you follow the news and if you follow lots of conversations, you hear these terms, health equity, you hear social determinants of health. But there really is space for a wide variety of ways to focus on okay, who has what access to education? Who has what access to wealth? Who has what, how are systems built around racism? Let's just say it out loud, I just did. How are systems built around other biases? And so, as you mentioned, we have our epidemiologists looking at those trends. We have people who are trained in health administration who are looking at those trends. So there's this whole field of public health that has emerged, like as you said, over the last few decades, um, where people are trained to focus on that in connection to medical care rather than the other way around. And just to follow up on that, too, for folks who haven't heard, Norfolk State University, Eastern Virginia Medical School, and Old Dominion University are working together on a School of Public Health initiative precisely for this region, for this reason, in this region, for this reason, right? (laughs) Is that we recognize the value of having the expertise in public health and having the the whole be more than the sum of its parts that a school of public health brings so that you can build expertise in all of these disciplines around public health to tackle the issues in this area. So we're really excited to collaborate with you and your colleagues at EVMS um, and ODU of course as well um, to build this school of public health
1: initiative to serve the area. Exactly, and you know, just to follow up on your comments, um, number one, Eastern Virginia Medical School was founded by the community for the community because years ago community leaders recognized that primary care and certain specialties weren't as easily accessible to our community, and so many of our people were being referred you know, up north or down south where there were those specialties. So the fact that EVMS was created by the community for the community, I mean, what a great gem of an institution. Right. And the fact that now we get to partner with ODU and NSU on the School of Public is awesome. But I'll say the passion that I have, especially in my current role, um, and why I actually took the role eight years ago was because when I was state health commissioner, you know, sitting on all the incredible data about health outcomes within our Commonwealth of Virginia, it actually alarmed me how some of the most significant health disparities in our state – are right here, not just in Hampton Roads, but right here in Norfolk. So infant mortality, you know, maternal mortality, mm-hmm. death rates due to certain cancers, breast, colorectal, and prostate cancer, we have individuals, communities, that are dying at a higher rate and suffering more than others. And when there is that gap and that disparity, right. that's the opportunity for us to ask why. Right. So uh, in reality, when I saw those disparities and saw that it was right here in my home region, when I transitioned out, when I transitioned out of you know, the state health commissioner role, and I was deciding, you know, I continue, I was actually continuing my private practice, seeing patients while I was state health commissioner, kind of on the weekends and on holidays. Uh, but I had the opportunity to, to really discern and wonder what is the next phase of my career going to look like, mm-hmm. and to be at that level and to see some of the disconnects between clinical care, and public policy, and to see some of these significant disparities, I committed to Richmond, and I committed to my region, you know, to follow up and say, you know what, I want to help make a difference in our Commonwealth by focusing on my home region, Mm -hmm. and to understand how we can have more of the public health mindset, and to have the School of Public Health help train the next generation of public health professionals and to have that partnered hopefully side by side if not within the same individuals of medical and healthcare professionals i mean this is my you know uh, my space now mm-hmm. where i'm excited that we have that opportunity to really focus on individuals our families and communities and to address any of those barriers and challenges you know, to better health and wellness for everyone.
0: Yeah, right here, which um, it's amazing. It's always amazing to me because I have lived in a variety of places. And I'm not, I mean, I'm here now. I've been here since 2017, and I really... Um, appreciate the region I really enjoy being here and I'm dedicated to some of the things that you said in terms of focusing on the community and figuring out how we can alleviate some of these issues but and not just that but flip it around how do we help our communities thrive I mean that really is the ultimate goal and when I hear from folks like yourself who've grown up here it inspires me because that means you love your community you're connected here you come but you can be anywhere you want to be and here you are and so that's that's inspiring that's amazing
1: exactly and and you know In our region, you know, one of the things that we've been trying to do for decades is to unify and act as a region, but that has been a little more elusive Mm -hmm. for us for various reasons. You know, we have, you know, uh, my gosh, 17 cities and counties that all have very unique, you know, identities and unique budgets, and the governance is not quite the same as other regions across the country, but we do have an opportunity, and I, you know, I believe along with others of the same mindset, that health and wellness should be that unifying factor. And if the pandemic, you know, taught us anything, it's that number one, we're human beings that need each other and we live, learn, work, play, worship, and socialize across our region. You Mm -hmm. know, that's the beauty Mm -hmm. of our region. So if we can potentially, you know, bring, bring the conversation to that higher level and say, you know, how can we focus on health, wellness, and thriving, right? So that everyone has an equal opportunity to stay as healthy and well as possible. Let's rally around that, right? And, you know, allow each of our cities and counties to leverage the assets that they have, right? And to have that leveraged not just for their individual cities and counties, but rather for the region, right? Right. right. And and again, I think just that whole process of, you know, assessing what are our assets. We have amazing strengths within our region, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So the diversity of our region, you know, racially, ethnically, geographically, we've got urban and suburban communities, but we also have rural environments, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And, you know, just because of someone's zip code or whichever city and county they live in, should not be you know a determinant to say you're going to get resources and you're not right so I think with telemedicine, telehealth, and the opportunity to share resources, you know how can we look at systems differently in order to you know share what we have? for everyone to have that equal opportunity to stay healthy and be well.
0: Right, and that's the definition of health equity, folks. You hear a lot of discussion, but everyone that has an equal opportunity to thrive and be well, that's what we're all going
1: for. So tell us a little bit more yeah. about the Brock Institute specifically, yeah, and so, your role there. Yeah, so the Brock Institute was established in 2012 through a very generous donation from Macon and Joan Brock, and it was honoring their father, Dr. M. Foscue Brock, who was hired by the city of Norfolk, an internal medicine physician, to take care of tuberculosis patients? So mm. back then, that was one of those endemics that, or uh, that created, you know, disparities in health and wellness. Mm-hmm. So to actually bring a dedicated physician to take care of those patients. It certainly made sense. So the Brock Institute was intended to honor him, but also to help support continuing efforts to improve the health of our community. Since I've been at the Brock Institute for the past just over eight years, I'm proud to say that the Brock Institute you know, has emerged as a regional trusted convener, a respected collaborator and connector, and a regional strategic catalyst for action. And when it was envisioned to be a true focal point of integration of EVMS's education, patient care, research, and outreach activities to support the school's vision to be recognized as the most community-oriented schools of medicine and health professions in the nation. Continue to be, right? Continue, Continue to be, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, we, we recognize that our region needed opportunities to you know, understand you know, what the barriers were and to acknowledge that there were these disparities. And so we have the opportunity to provide education as a whole, to provide specific training, and also to look at what are some opportunities for evaluation, assessment, research, and just innovation, right? And understand and hear directly from the community members what strategies are working, what are not, Mm -hmm. and what could we do together to help improve access to services and health and wellness for all.
0: Mm-hmm. So for folks who are listening who are community members and that they may not be connected into one of our institutions, for example, yes. how could they get involved in some of the activities and projects that
1: you're working on? Yeah, so definitely being connected with any of our institutions now, certainly EVMS, ODU, and NSU, um, when they see opportunities for being involved in webinars or educational sessions or training sessions, please sign up. Mm -hmm. because we're trying to advertise and really reach the community in so many ways. So there are opportunities to attend webinars, and many of them are, you know, virtual and certainly involved in, um, you know, trying to access wherever you are. Uh, But we also have some in-person trainings, whether it's related to substance use and addictions, whether Mm -hmm. it's understanding what resources are available, whether it's a clinical trial, whether it's, you know, an engagement project. So just keep your eye out on some of the uh, the projects and activities that are being advertised throughout the area. And then also just reach out to any one of us. You know, we really want to hear individuals, especially from diverse backgrounds and diverse populations, because if we don't get a chance to hear from you, we are missing the opportunity to engage you and hear your voice and understand more about, you know, what's doing well within your environments, but also what could we be doing better to connect you to other uh, communities and resources as well. So definitely reach out to any of us, and you know certainly all of our websites are available online. And we definitely want to continue to hear from you.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the ways this new School of Public Health initiative, because we're not a school yet, and we're being very careful about that, but one of the ways that that initiative is unique is because NSU is an HBCU, and one of our focus areas, and one of the things we're built on, part of our mission is being grounded in the African. American community being grounded in the surrounding community in this area and serving you know all types of populations but driven with a focus on that and so when Dr. Romero says that we want you to be involved here, here, I, I co stamp that. <laughs> I definitely want to encourage it because we really do. And I do think that having a school of public health and having that focus emphasizes that. And so there will be more and more opportunities for people to engage. So if you would like to find out more or you would like to engage with um, public health or community health or the Brock Institute, Here's an easy way to contact us. You can send an email to publichealth at NSU, as in Norfolk State University, dot edu. My office will get that email, and then I will connect you. If you have an idea of something that you think would be great to have in the community, whether it's a focus group or a town hall or some kind of program or service, you just let me know. And then I will connect you to Dr. Romero as it involves community health and global health or other colleagues. And also the website at Norfolk State is... Let's see, public health. It's the NSU website, nsu.edu slash public health. It's relatively new, folks. (laughs) (laughs) nsu.edu slash public health. So that's where you can find uh, more information about the public health initiatives at Norfolk State. And then as the School of Public Health becomes more um, formal, as we start to make announcements, you can see information there. So I'm really glad that you you gave that shout out because that's definitely something that we want to emphasize here on the program.
1: Absolutely. And you want other point I want to make about EVMS is that again because we were built by the community for the community one of our most strategic plans have been to focus on community engagement and this was even before the pandemic occurred so wow what an opportunity to live and breathe that that mantra of living culturally humble in order to really engage the community. And I think that feeds very well into some of the collaborative efforts that NSU and ODU and EVMS are involved in, in truly listening to the community, listening. And and these could be communities <coughs> that are either marginalized because of race, gender, income level, education level, what have you. But we also want to recognize that there are other communities that may may be experiencing challenges such as the homeless such as the seniors such as you know those whose first language is not english for just those who are suffering for you know physical disabilities intellectual disabilities mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. so when when we when we're talking about communities that we want to help and communities that we know are suffering you know we from those of us who are involved we know from the community health needs assessments that all the hospitals have done Tremendous effort and great, you know, rich information that we can garner from there. But again, any way that we could understand and learn from the community members themselves, how can we do better? Again, this is our opportunity.
0: Yes, and also uh, one last community, Shout out again to our military folks. We appreciate you. We know that's part of what makes Hampton Roads unique,
1: so we definitely have a focus there as well. Absolutely, and and that's certainly another area of the Brock Institute is how do we identify, you know, active military and certainly veterans and their family members who may be at risk for mental illnesses because of the environment.
0: Okay, so thank you so much for being here with us today. Again, I'm Dr. Felicia Mebb, an executive director of the Center for Public Health Initiatives at Norfolk State University, and this is Health Healing and Hampton Roads.